0: to my people says your God speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term and that her penalty is paid that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins a voice cries out in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord make straight in the desert a highway for our God every valley shall be lifted up every mountain and hill made low The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, and the flower fades When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, a Zion herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead the mother sheep. The word of God for us, the people of God.
1: Thanks be to God.
0: So today um, is the beginning of Advent, and we're also beginning a new sermon series entitled And He Shall Be Called, and I wonder if you have heard these words before. Uh, Kara would say she just read these words before. (laughs) Um, I don't know if you heard them in our Advent lighting this morning. You see, in the Christmas story, the various characters of the nativity, they knew that this baby was giving them a glimpse of the divine. They knew that it was spectacular, and yet none of them, none of them, not the John who pointed them um, towards Jesus, not Joseph and Mary who parented Jesus, not the shepherds and wise men who sat at the, the manger in awe of Jesus, none of them could have known who this child was destined to be. None of them could have comprehended all that he would be called. Not even the Pro- prophet Isaiah, which Kara read this, this morning, who foretold of this baby, saying, And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God and Everlasting One and Prince of Peace could have comprehended the radical, unexpected reality of the promised Messiah, the name above all names. And so this Advent, this season of watching and waiting, we're going to watch and wait together. For Jesus to be born in our hearts anew through digging into the meaning of some of the most mysterious names he has been called. Let me give you a little window, into the, a secret window into the Advent season for a pastor preparing. This season in the church, the scriptures are basically the same every single year. Sometimes you might get more readings from Mark. Sometimes you might get more readings from Matthew. Sometimes you might get more readings from Luke. But we hear the same voices every single year it's always the same i'm going to let you in on a little secret about advent today um, if you pay close attention every year or maybe you'll forget me by next year what i'm about to tell you if you pay close attention we move every single year the first week of advent from the old testament the prophets every single year the first week is in the prophets. Then we move the second week of Advent to this guy named John who ate locusts and preached from the wilderness and said very similar things as the prophets did. And then we move the next week, every single year, to Joseph or shepherds, depending on the year, maybe a little bit more of one than the other. And then the fourth week of Advent, we always are with Mary. Every every year we do the same thing. We do the same thing. And so it's my job as the pastor every year to figure out, how are we going to tell this story again in a new way? Because by the time you get to the barn, they, you normally hear the whole story read all over again. But without it being framed from prophets, John, Joseph, Mary, you miss most of it. You miss the point. Then every week, every week two, every week three, you'll see the same theme over and over and over again. So today, I'm not going to do anything different than what I've done the other years. I'm not. I'm going to return straight back to where we've been. I'm going to start this year off with Israel. And by the way, when I say start this year off, um, I don't know if you know it, but in the Christian calendar, today is the first day of the year, not January one advent begins the christian year it's when jesus is born in our midst and so as we start this year off we're starting with israel and when we think of the story of israel the story that spans the old testament the story that reminds us that this jesus was not born for us christians but that this jesus has this long history before this this longing for a Messiah, when we think of this story of Israel, we should think of two stories. And so I'm going to get you in your little um, Old Testament knowledge today. Let's kind of maybe work through what we know. Let's think about the story. If If you think Israel, you should think two stories. You should think Egypt and Babylon. The whole of the Old Testament is shaped around those two stories. Two stories define everything about Israel, everything about this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob up till now. And so let's kind of remember what happens here. Let's just jog our memory. First, the children of Israel are slaves in Egypt. God raises up Moses and through the Exodus brings his people to freedom in the promised land. Does this sound familiar? And then we wait. what we do so the season of Advent as we are waiting should feel a little bit like that and then we wait we wait after Exodus and we wonder what are they going to do with this freedom what is Israel going to do with this freedom what do they do with it they get themselves into Babylon then we're in exile in Babylon And they discover a part of God's character they hadn't known before. And they return with this new understanding of themselves and this new understanding of of God. And then we wait again. This period should feel a little bit like that waiting too. We wait again. We wait to see whether the life they have after they return from Babylon can actually ever be called freedom. We wait with them as they wait for a Messiah to get them out of captivity these two stories make up the whole of the Old Testament exile or sorry Egypt and Babylon and the stories are very similar but there's one big difference between them slavery in Egypt was not Israel's fault they were hungry so they came to Egypt They did well there, so they became a threat to the regime. The regime made them slaves to keep them down. That's the story of Egypt. So when we imagine Israel and Egypt, we identify with the oppressed everywhere and the downtrodden everywhere and the abused and the hurt and the the cruelly treated people. And we like to read these stories about Egypt. That's why we know much more about Moses than we know about Daniel in exile. We like the stories of Egypt because Israel wasn't at fault. They tell us that God vindicates in the face of injustice, that God sets history right. But Babylon is completely different, which takes up just as much time as Egypt does, but we never talk about. Babylon isn't that. The books of Isaiah and Kings and Jeremiah and Lamentations and Ezekiel make no mistake in portraying Israel's time in exile as a time of suffering and sorrow. But the difference from Egypt is this. The time in Babylon is self-inflicted sorrow. This is the suffering that need not have been for Israel. This is suffering that Israel brought on herself by turning away from God's ways. We don't like to read these stories because of this. We don't like, they don't make us feel righteous. They make us feel embarrassed and uncomfortable. We don't like to come to grips with the sins we commit, we get, the stuff we get ourselves into, right? We'd rather take refuge in military and economic and geopolitical explanations for the fall of the Israelite kingdom. There's all kinds of stuff out there that tell you what happened. But the Bible's having none of it. Israel made her own bed and spent 70 years lying in it. That's what it says. I wonder how, and so I wonder today, I wonder how that embarrassment and that discomfort hits you where you are today. Because if this story, um, you know, we did the big Old Testament, let's talk about what Old Testament is about. Now we're bringing it down to us. What does, how does this hit you today? How have you experienced Egypt? And how have you experienced Babylon? How have you experienced pain and suffering done to you by others? At no fault of your own extreme tragedy that you have no explanation for and don't know why anyone would do that to you or why maybe God would do that to you if that's where you are and how also have you experienced Babylon the stuff you do to yourself the crap you get yourself into I wonder if there's suffering and pain in your life that need not have been because it was self-inflicted we spend a lot of time licking and praying through the wounds of our slavery in Egypt and life, resenting the ways that the sins of others or just the unexplainable life tragedies, tornadoes and cancer, bring us down and make us and make us in our lives feel harder than we feel they should have ever been. Why, me? But, but that's about Egypt. And that's not what Isaiah is talking about today. Isaiah is not talking about Egypt. He's talking about Babylon, which is why Advent should take this very somber feel at the beginning. Because if we have not come to grips with our Babylon, we can't receive Jesus. Isaiah is talking about Babylon, talking about the place you end up because you got it badly wrong yourself. It may be a very visible place like Babylon was for Israel, it could be that. It may be that you know what it means to face public humiliation or to hear the gasp of strangers as they read about you. I mean, those are extreme cases. Or the sense of anguish of friends or family members or former friends or family members, maybe, who know what you did and feel inconsolably let down by you. It may be that every time you see certain people, you you blink and wince because you feel like they're judging you or um, for whatever it is that you did, or you'll never be able to look them straight in the eye again. Or it may be just a secret known only to you or perhaps only to a few others. It may be something you're terrified of coming to light, something you wonder whether you could ever share with anybody without them going cold and distant and politely ending the friendship with you. Maybe you felt like you've been living in some kind of prison of your own making because most of the courses open to you lead to some kind of disclosure or encounter or or reminder that tests the secret down in you to its limits and you don't like that. It could be you find yourself bursting into tears for no reason. Perhaps you're surrounded by people now who couldn't imagine or understand or ever be reconciled to the story you have to tell your past. Maybe you feel angry or paralyzed that you have to live your life with this secret chaining you down. Hear these words today from Isaiah. Hear these words today from our wonderful counselor quoted by Isaiah. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. In the place of pain and sorrow inflicted on you by others, or in the place of pain and sorrow self-inflicted, this child comes bearing a wonderful, unimaginable comfort and counsel from God. Comfort, comfort to my people, says your God. These words are directed at the people of Israel in exile, but let's look closely at what they mean for the people of Israel in Babylon and discover precisely what they might mean for us, too, today. Israel has a series of reasons to find God's comforting word hard to swallow. To start with, when when you've made a mess of things, there's a lot of hurt. But hurt, I mean, that by, by this, I mean the impact of wrongdoing on hearts and, and minds and souls and most of all, the heart of God, right? But besides hurt, there's also damage. Damage refers to the lasting practical effects of what you've broken. If For Israel, the hurt was their estrangement from God. The damage was the fact that they were in Babylon, a thousand miles from home. But look what God, the wonderful counselor, says. He says, I'll deal with the hurt and the damage. Cry to Jerusalem that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid. In other words, her sin is forgiven and its consequences are healed. That's the difference between forgiveness and healing. Forgiveness deals with sin, and after the sin is forgiven, there's still the damage to be faced from this. Healing addresses the damage, and it sometimes takes a whole lot longer to accomplish. Israel also has another obstacle in the way of accepting God's comfort. We're 30 days journey from home and in between our mountains, it says, and (laughs) valleys and all sorts of difficult terrain. In other words, I've put myself in such a distant place that even God's forgiveness and healing aren't going to be enough to get me back. Well, this is what God, the wonderful counselor, has to say about that distance and that terrain, if maybe that's something you know too. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. In other words, don't go on worrying about the road back. You know the way when an Easter king is is traveling around his empire, says Isaiah, and a herald travels a day or two ahead of him to make sure the road ahead is flat and straight and free of obstacles? That's the way it's going to be for you too. A herald's going to go ahead of you to make sure your route is all flattened out and all well-prepared, and you're going to, to come home on a Blue, Way, Blue Ridge Parkway to Zion, says the wonderful counselor. And then there's another obstacle. The flesh is weak. We are so weak. We've had two obstacles that said that the damage is too great, and the distance is too far and now we've got this third obstacle that says my strength isn't up to it israel said in in the old days we we had great figures like like jeremiah and hezekiah when we came out of egypt we had moses who do we have now but now we're all gone and we're all alone i don't know who i have anymore we say to ourselves god may have forgiven me, healed me, even overcome the impossibilities of my situation I've created, but, but I just haven't got it in me to face the future. I just, I don't know who's standing with me anymore. I'm tired. The grass withers. The flower fades. I'm like the grass. I feel like grass. But this obstacle is then dismantled, like the previous ones, and this wonderful counselor says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. In other words, you're you're not going to do this on your own strength. You're going to do this in God's strength. To borrow words from later in the chapter, he says, He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, mount up with wings like eagles, They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. And then there's yet one more obstacle. And this one seems the biggest of all. We've had one about consequences. I wonder if that's you. We've had another about distance. I wonder if that's you. We've had a third about just human weakness. I don't have the strength to do this. But this last one is the big one. This last one is fear. Don't forget Israel assumed anyone who saw God would die. God was so holy, and Israel felt anything but holy. I wonder if you've ever felt that way. Remember when Isaiah himself was in the temple in in Jerusalem and saw God, he was petrified, it said. He saw God and he was petrified. I wonder if you... Feel like if you really saw God, you would be petrified. The first three obstacles are about imagining ourselves without this constant burden of guilt and and sorrow and regret. It's hard to forgive ourselves because we're used to telling a story in which we're the main player, albeit a player who ruined the play, maybe, in our lives. But even if we can get over our own reservations about being given a new identity free from our sin, we've got to face up to God. We've gotta meet the holy face to face, and that's terrifying. We've gotta stop looking at the ground. We've gotta raise our eyes to meet God's gaze, ashamed as we are of wherever we are. And here it seems we're in for the biggest surprise at all. We raise our eyes to meet God's eyes, and that wonderful counselor says, Behold your God. We're face to face with God, and he's mighty. Of course he is. After all, he's just overcome our weakness and flattened all the mountains and valleys in our lives and repaired all the damage we've done to ourselves and to others and it turns out when we look closer he's really it says just a shepherd who loves us like his own sheep behold your God I'm just a shepherd and he doesn't drive us faster than we can go And when when the going's too much for us, he gathers us into his arms and carries us into his bosom. Behold your God. That's how God, wonderful counselor God, announces to Israel that her exile is over. That's what this passage is. She announces to Israel, your exile is over. God says, yes, you sinned. Yes. There's been major consequences, but I've forgiven you, and I'm helping you clean up the mess you've made. Yes, you've put yourself a long and difficult way from where you should be. Maybe you feel that way, but I'll flatten whatever lies between there and here. Yes, you've, you're worn out, and in many ways you've, you're, you're as much hurt as those you've hurt maybe. But this is going to be done in my strength, not yours. Yes, sin is a terrible thing in the face of my holiness, but behold your God, don't be afraid, because I love you so tenderly. I'll embrace you, and if you can't make the road back alone, I'll I'll carry you over the parts where you can't walk. I once read a poet describe how these words in Isaiah struck him. This poet said it's like Isaiah is describing a body that's been buried in the ground coming back to life again. The first words of of this passage are about the minerals and the rocks and the valleys and the rough ground. And then there's the words about the, the vegetable grass and the flowers and the vegetation coming a little bit closer to the surface. And then there's finally the words about the shepherd and the animal sheep and the lambs that lay at the shepherd's feet. There's this like cosmic coming alive here. The animal, the vegetable, the mineral world all coming out of exile too. There is this political coming alive here. Israel is emerging from more than half a century of obscurity and subjugation. And there's a personal coming alive here for you. As we've just been exploring, Israel's alienation from God was cosmic and political, and it's personal. And God, the wonderful counselor, resolves this. These consequences in this cosmic and political and personal way, at the center of these words lies this promise. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God's solution is so much bigger, so much greater, so much more profound than the problem. Israel has departed from God After years of grief and sorrow, the result is that all flesh shall see God and live. And the God they see is just tenderness itself. These words are about Israel coming back to life, and these words are about us coming back to life. And that's why they they appear at the, the beginning of Mark's Gospel too. When John the Baptist says, prepare the way of the Lord, he's saying all of these promises are about to come true. Jesus is coming to bring Israel back to life. Jesus is coming to bring you back to life. God the Father is saying to God the Son. God the Father is saying to God the Son, Jesus, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid. That's how God, wonderful counselor, announces to Israel her exile is over. God is making a a straight way for you, is making a highway to Zion for you, and you may feel so weak that you feel like grass in the wind, but you will be born up like an eagle on the wings of God's spirit. He hasn't utterly forsaken you. He will lead you like a shepherd, it says. And so today, feel your body coming back to life as we begin this Advent season. Feel your body coming back to life. It's bones, it's flesh, it's organs, it's limbs, it's heart. Don't stay in exile anymore. That's not the place for you. God doesn't want you there. Here is your God. Behold, here is your God, wonderful counselor, speaking these tender words of comfort to you today. Would you pray with me? God, it changes everything for us to imagine you, God the Father, saying to Jesus the Son, go tell my people Comfort, comfort, your penalty is paid. Changes these words entirely. God, we know that it was 2,000 years ago that Jesus came, and yet we ask that you would be born in our hearts this year, anew, that we would understand and know this story in a whole new way, That as you speak to Israel, coming back to life out of exile, that you would speak these same words to us, coming out of our own exiles. Comfort, comfort my people. I'm going to to lay flat your mountains. God, we lift up to you our mountains right now. allow God to bring those to mind and sometimes we don't want our mountains to be brought to mind you're going to flatten our valleys you're going to make a way for us where there is no way and when we face you God when we are before you face to face we don't Find a God that that says, Behold, and whose holiness is unaccepting of our frailty, but we meet a shepherd who gathers us in. And over and over again speaks comfort, comfort, comfort. God bring us back to life this Advent we pray this in the name of Jesus our Lord who taught us to pray our Father who art in heaven how it be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever